Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of our Composable Commerce podcast. Today we have a very special guest again because already for weeks we have special guests but today we have Bram here and uh, Bram is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been working uh, with Deity since the beginning but before that he has over 20 years of experience in e-commerce and specifically in software e-commerce. Bram is a software architect and uh, we would like to talk today about software architecture, but more specifically, of course, about composable commerce and how that happened 20 years ago and what do we have now? What is the difference between those kind of tools and how do we use them to optimize our systems? But first, welcome Bram. Hi, Jamie. Hi, everybody. Bram, can you explain us what is a, what does a software architect do? What do you do? Well, a software architect, uh, you have to think of it like a house architect. He makes the big drawing of how it's going to be. It's not the details, so not how uh, your faucet is uh, connected, but where the faucet is going to go and if then everything in your house has the correct layout so you can use it easily. And you should think of that as the software, the big parts, how are they connected, how is the big picture, and uh, not caring about the actual code that goes underneath it. Okay, so, but, I mean, you used to be, a, I mean, you still are, you used to be a coder, right? <laughs> a real well, uh, yeah, engineer. for software, it's really easy to know how to code and what the code is before yeah. you can see the third eye picture, is it correct? Yeah, the big picture. The so big picture, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to make the blueprint <laughs> and the big picture. Uh, so you've been doing this for 20 years. Have you been always been a software architect? Uh, no, of course. I started as uh, just a, well, just a programmer. I started as programmer yeah. and did uh, a lot of programming with some seniors above me. And after that, the senior fell away. And it was an easy transition from coding to architect. Architecture, yeah. So you've been doing architecture for 15 years now then, if I would take a guess. Yeah, probably around that, oh, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, 15 years ago, things were very different than they are today. What was your weapon of choice back then? Uh, well, for programming, and that's been a bit further back than 15 years, my weapon of choice was a programming language, uh, Pascal, and Delphi that followed that. And that language is, uh, well, really readable. It's like human language, natural language for programming. It was a, r a real programming language, not scripting, but it felt like scripting. It was that easy. But uh, yeah, it fell a bit in disregard. Now we're using different languages. <laughs> yeah, things change, right? So moving into architecture. So when we look at basic architectures, in there's many, but of course, you know, there's some basics, and they're getting more popular now that we're talking about today, which is the monolith, which is heartless, and now we talk about composable commerce. Uh, if we talk about monoliths, we have a software, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the architect here, but we have a, a piece of software that is all connected in one. We have the services there, we have the front end, everything is in one base, right? Correct? Yes. And then uh, we want to get more flexibility, so we move into cutting parts off, and that can be headless. So the term headless comes from we cut off the hat, the front end, so we get more flexibility, and then we connect with API. We feed that with API. The next step is composable commerce, where we not only cut off the hat, but also separate the business into different business services. So the logic becomes services. And that's a different with microservices, as in the business services in the composable environment, we talk about things like search and payment, etc. While in microservices, we talk on a 
programming level and let's call it like that in terms of how they are split up so of course these services need to work together we need to move data from one to the other and if you have a lot of different sources you cannot just handle by direct apis you need something there and today we use smart commerce composing middleware for that but back in the day we also had different services like erp systems that needed to go into software and different front-end environments so what was it back then what was the middleware back then uh, well, actually, there wasn't middleware. <laughs> it was just really uh, programming for each interface. Way back, we all had CSV files, so just text files, comma separated. And every import, you programmed where the field should go and how it should go. Not making it really configurable. It was really, this interface needs to be programmed for your application. Mm-hmm. The biggest change, well, of course, except for the format from CSV, we don't see that a lot anymore. Mostly we're working with JSON, which is a nice format compared to CSV. It's readable and you can create a loose binding on it. So you don't have to say, well, I expect the third field to be the price. Mm -hmm. No, just look at what is called the price and use that. So if we look at that, then we were sending, you know, files back and forth. And, you know, then came some smarter systems like MuleSoft, right? Yes. So these were technically we called ESBs, if I'm correct. Yes, enterprise service buses. Oh, come on, tell me about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the enterprise service bus is in your landscape. You get one input. Uh, It could be that old CSV or JSON or anything. And you format it in a specific way that your company can use it. But instead of programming it for a specific reason, like importing products, you program it, well, I have some new products and I put it on a bus. And the difference between uh, programming it for each and every time you get it and the bus is the bus, you put the data on there and you can get different listeners. And those listeners listen to the data that's on there and act on it. And probably multiple times so that you have the advantages of using the bus. <laughs> okay, so it's more like, okay, instead of making all individual trips, you put everyone in a bus and they get out and get in. when Yes, <laughs> yes uh, instead of one-to-one, one-to-many. <laughs> one-to-many. Okay, so Millsoft then, you know, was very smart in creating a bus for that and making sure that this could be used. Um, can it be used in a composable commerce environment? Uh, yes, it can be used in a composable commerce environment, although the current uh, technology is going away from that. What the problem with those enterprise service buses were is, well, for an enterprise environment, it's ideal because uh, the multiple listeners, but it makes it complex to understand. The data is put somewhere and you should believe somewhere it's taken up and mm-hmm. it's doing all right. And you don't know if one or 50 listeners are on there. Mm-hmm. This used to make real complex implementations. All enterprise implementations mm-hmm. were really costly. And after a while, became harder to maintain. Most of the information that you needed was Pure documentation. You couldn't just debug the bus and see what's happening. (laughs) So in a composable commerce environment, we need much more live data, right? So it's not just that we're not waiting for the bus anymore. We need to have a new bar, which we can call on right away. Yes, we fetch it. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's what we call fetch. Okay, so we're going to fetch Ubus, you know, if we compare it like that. So tell us, what is the middleware then for composable commerce? How does that differ from technology like MuleSoft? 
Well, the MuleShop data entry is a push environment. So mm-hmm. you, you push the data in there and you act on this. With composable commerce, we need both strategies, uh, a push and a pull. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we still have etched data that is pushed into the system and gets distributed mm-hmm. to all systems. But the main advantage is the pool. So if we say, I want a product, we query the system that's responsible for the product. And because it's composable, we also want a stock on there. Mm-hmm. We don't store the stock on the same database as the product mm-hmm. because it's a different type of database. But we dynamically bind the next call for the stock to the product and for you, you receive the product and the stock as one entity. Okay, so if I would translate this, so I'm, uh, of course, I know about software, but a little bit less, way less than you do. Uh, but if I would, you know, say it, so in a traditional environment, but still advanced with a tool like MuleSoft, I'm getting ESB, I have a product page and I'm, you know, looking at the bus and I'm saying, okay, here is the product data and I'm getting that data which was put in maybe yesterday. We don't know when the data was put in. We can't program that, but at least, you know, it put in at some point. Then with a new composable commerce environment using a commerce composer middleware layer as data created, I can say, okay, I need fresh fruit from this market. I need fresh fruit from that market. I need the stock level from this market. I need a product name and a price from several other solutions. And a lot of people come writing to me right away to bring it. Is that how I can compare it? Yes, you can compare it like that. And this also gives the main advantage of always working with up-to-date data. Yeah, the freshest. The The freshest data, yes. One source of truth. Mm -hmm. You get the data there and you use it. They haven't Mm -hmm. been in the bus for a few hours. They come right away. (laughs) You might have a little cash layer, uh, but uh, this is different than the old way that you uh, used to import all the data into your database and uh, conceal it like that. I mean, if we talk about composable commerce, one of the things that why we use it and why we build it is to... You know, it'll be flexible and that kind of stuff. But on the end, it's about the end customer. And what we want to build is a DXP, right? The best digital experience uh, platform for them. So they can provide the best digital experience. And part of that is obviously real-time data. So in that case, having tools like MuleSoft or, you know, or other, and I, I don't want to bash MuleSoft, but I mean like having tools that are ESB are not good for that part of your business because you want to have real-time data. Of course, ESB systems are still good to use between importing data from suppliers, you know, into your system, which can be, you know, batch data. But we need a combination of that in a, in a modern environment. We need a combination of, let's say, offline and online data, batch and direct data, correct? Yes, yes. Of course, the newest technology is trying to get it as real-time as possible, mm-hmm. uh, probably always getting uh, the least data you need. Mm-hmm. But there are still needs to connect, especially with older systems, to do batch imports and to distribute data across multiple systems. So if I'm pulling all the time from different sources, I'm calling Ubers all the time, uh, let's say, uh, how does that impact my performance? Well, it does impact the performance, but both good and bad. Okay. So the bad thing is, instead of creating one connection, you're creating multiple connections to other servers, and building a connection is quite heavy. You normally think you omit it in your thinking about building up the connection, but it really needs to route all over the internet, acquire credentials, log in, and then it can actually do what you want. If you do this in one call, it's just one time building up the connection, and you can do then everything you want. Mm-hmm. 
In the new system, we're making multiple connections, so we have the overhead of those multiple connections building up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the good part about it is that you're also distributing the load of the connection. So instead of building one connection and then uh, requiring all resources of the system just to get the data, fetching mm-hmm. it this, fetching that, merging all those things, you now give only the load that needed to the correct service. So um, get the stock is only get the stock. It's not get the stock hold on with all the stock calculations because I also need my images there and I also need this there and it creates locks on the data. So if I look at it from a customer perspective, I'm on the website, it could be that parts are loading simultaneously and it could be that, you know, one item is not loaded yet. It takes a few milliseconds or maybe one or two seconds longer, but the rest of the page is already there. Yes. And in terms of, you know, not using this kind of technology, but just fetching everything at once, you're going to get an empty page until everything is there. That's true. And not only the empty page for the customer experience, but also look at the back end with the monoliths. Most of the companies also have their warehouse running on the data. Mm-hmm. So if you say, well, I'm waiting on my page, they are waiting on their product to process and put it in your package because mm-hmm. you are waiting on the same product to get it on your page. Yeah, 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 I understand that. So the whole system is affected by this because the bus, you know, we need to all wait for the bus, right? Yes. And if we have Ubers, we can call them at the same time. Okay, Bram, I think that made it really much more clear on why it's important to have a smart middleware where you can still use that enterprise service bus technology and what is the difference between them. I'm sure that there is a lot of things we can talk about much more technical and much more deep. And I'm Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that once listening who want to know more about this can, please tune in and let us know. Contact us. Bram is really open to talk with all of you and to explain this more. I think we will record a podcast in the future about how we can specifically use that, in which case you use either the other one. But I think in general, Ubers versus buses, <laughs> that makes it a lot more clear. Uh, Deity has a product which is ready to go, uh, which is an Uber system, but Uber for your e-commerce data. I said it, I called it <laughs> the company an Uber for X. Um, but yeah, I think that that does make it clear. Uh, thank you very much for giving some clarity on what is the differences. We get those questions a lot, so it does make a lot of sense to talk about this. And thank you very much, Bram. Oh, thank you, glad to help. And uh, <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>